0: great place to start is with the Green family because seeing that story it was incredibly inspirational to hear your TED talks and to see the work that Trevor Green went to and just kind of his whole life story but could you tell us how that all came about because it sounds like you were watching a documentary and that's how it all kind of got started for you
1: yeah you know a lot of things I think in my life and my career i've I've had this incredible uh fortune to just cross the path with amazing people and and certainly um the you know the collaboration and the partnership and the friendship with uh Trevor and debbie uh, green um and the family uh, which is now almost uh, i think it's over ten years uh it's just been uh it's been one of the most amazing and impactful and valuable things i've had and not just my professional career as a neuroscientist but also uh, really i think um you know I, I really want like all of us you want to make a difference in this world and and this definitely is on that list
0: absolutely yeah. so you were watching the documentary and then you chose to reach out because you thought you could do something and i think that that is so inspirational because so many of us watch documentaries and maybe some of us don't watch documentaries but for you to see that you could play a role is i think inspiring in the, of itself so could you tell us how it came about that you met uh, the green family sure
1: yeah so for those um who aren't aware um, Captain Green served in Afghanistan for Canada, um, and he served in, um, it was, the year was in 2006, uh, and there, um, they were at the tip of the spear, his particular, uh, platoon and, and group, and his job was as basically a military liaison officer, so his job was to basically, they would go to villages in Afghanistan on, you know, that were sort of around the Kandahar area, and they would, um, meet and sit with the village elders and as a sign of respect they would take their helmets off and lay their firearms down and then um, it was actually Trevor's uh, job specifically to initiate a conversation around how we as Canadians could help and more often than not his one of his major objectives uh, was really around empowering women in that country and so he had to prepare for a little bit of a a a challenging conversation around saying you know we'd love to provide resources but we'd also in return we it's important to do things like educate your women and um, of course that that was always met with either you know laughter or resistance and so it's tricky sort of conversation and one day they're sitting down on March 4th 2006 and uh, it was they weren't even going to do this meeting but they decided to do one more in a village called Shinkai and um, as they started the conversation, a young 16-year-old uh, insurgent who was under the sway of the Taliban uh, was uh, sort of had come up quietly behind Trevor and from his robe underneath pulled a, an axe and with uh, two hands and all his strength uh, buried the axe into the top of Captain Green's head, um, which uh, the neurosurgeon at the time said it was the largest uh, uh, injury that he'd seen. Certainly it's uh, uh, the largest I've seen in my career. Um, from there it could have been one of the darkest moments and actually um, instead of that this story has become probably one of the brightest stories about hope and unleashing brain potential that uh, I would say safely the planet has ever seen. Yeah
0: Yeah. that is incredible and I think that you saw that he was working to try and get We'll start walking again. And that I think showed in the documentary you saw. Mm-hmm. And then it was from there that you said, they're focused on the feet, they're focused on the legs, but they should be focused on the brain. How did you know that um, when you were watching that, was that just plain as day or um, how did they not know that? Like, is that just uh, too much specialization that they didn't consider the brain?
1: Uh, well, I think I had a unique perspective as a neuroscientist right. for sure. Um, and I ended up, um, I remember it the day really crystal clear because, I got drawn into this amazing documentary called The Peace Warrior, um, which uh, was actually a love story about, uh, as, the, as the documentary, Sue Rideout, who did the documentary will tell you, um, it was a love story about how Debbie and Trevor fought through this incredible journey. And, and um, it was just so compelling. And there's a moment where you can see they're starting to get hope. Um, they're, you know, they're, they're um, you know, some amazing moments. Um, Trevor forgave his attacker in spite of, you know, PTSD that I can't even conceive, right? And still to this day, he, he, he works through that. Um, and his goal becomes to to walk again, right? And I, there's this just incredibly powerful moment in that documentary where they're meeting with a clinical specialist who is specialized primarily in orthopedics around his feet, which... Um, his feet were not, uh, they were basically pointed because of the injury. And um, and he was wondering how can I get my feet flat so I can just walk and I want to walk again. And the um, the information he was given was basically to manage false hope to say you won't walk again. And that's where I yelled at the TV and I, I you know, was, you know, not uh, my, you know, uh, my greatest moment by any stretch. I was like, it's not his feet, it's his brain. And so I just, I de- I've always decided, you know, if there's something in the world you think needs to be changed, change it. Yeah. So I picked up my laptop and I sent a note to Sue Rideout. And I just said, it was actually absolutely the case. It was a very short email that said, I think I can help. Yeah. And, um, and from there, that went to Debbie. And, and we uh, started a, a research collaboration that uh, started in 2009 and continues to this day.
0: Wow, I think that that is so inspirational because a lot of people wish they could help. They have this mindset of like, oh, if I was in this circumstance, I would help, but I don't know if we always commit to that. I think yeah. a lot of people think, yeah, like I would be the person to, to save someone from a burning building, but they they don't actually pull the trigger in that moment to take that action. But it's clear that you saw that you could play a role and chose to reach out and see what you could do. What was that initial meeting like um, to, to offer this type of hope? And I'm also interested to know your thoughts on. On false hope do you think that it's right that we approach things in that way to discourage people from getting too much hope or do you think that perhaps we should have more confidence in the patient and try and encourage the patient to at least reach their full potential
1: well yeah so that's um that's a great question i think um first of all the uh the initial conversation was amazing i remember speaking to debbie um of course at this point Debbie and Trevor themselves, they, they get all the credit. they were already driving um, past the all limits that the world had set on them. and so they had lots of people and interesting kind of uh, you know conversations that were going on that the documentary was drawing some publicity and awareness. Um, and they, they certainly weren't thinking about becoming uh, scientific researchers at that time, right? Um, so it was, it was a fun conversation because um, they, they had really gotten to understand this concept of neuroplasticity, which is a fancy science word. It basically really is um, the ability to rewire your brain and, and either regain functions or, or, or gain new functions. Um, another word we think about it commonly would be learning, right? So in Trevor's case, relearning the abilities he lost. Um, so they were pretty, they were pretty savvy there. And I think they really got that, um, you know, in their minds, they were like, yeah, there's no upper limit to this. So we're going to, we're going to keep going. And, and so our science experiment became, I think for all of us a way, um, and we really did agree on this and it has stayed this way since to prove to other people that this was possible. So we all, I think were really, um, jazzed up by the concept of, yeah, let's do this, because we can show the world um, that, you know, there's far, far greater potential than what we currently accept. Yeah. Now, I always make a point that it's really important not to fault um, the, you know, any clinician or any hospital or healthcare system if the experience is to manage um, the outcome around false hope, and, and the reason for that is, is quite simply people don't realize that brains are very, very delicate and they're not like getting like a, you know, a broken arm or you know a charley horse or something where you can just shake it off, right? Um, an injury to your brain can be quite devastating and when somebody comes aware of that, the first time is more often than not when they've had a brain injury. Yeah. So it is really important and responsible to try and get them to sort of understand that, that, that this, was a, this is a very serious and, and could be chronic Uh, situation and what their new uh, reality has become. Um, So I think it's always important to manage that the the challenge becomes really allowing them to get to that place, but then um, moving through to say, okay, but what can I do? Because this, this incredible hardship is now what I'm dealing with. What can I do? And that's where I think that's where we're making new new strides and new um, advances, and saying, well, actually, these are some of the things you can do, and and this is the way you can move forward in a in a you know a positive and constructive and optimistic way. And the reality is, like you just look at Trevor's example, he has absolutely positively, in an innovative way, impacted countless people across this planet, yeah. um, and created unbelievable impacts uh, in his life. Um, and I think that. That's a message of hope for all of us,
0: right? And I'm interested to know because I think that that's a really good point about false hope. And the reason I asked the question is because I also think it likely comes down to the patient. It seems like Trevor and Debbie they had this determination, they had this willpower to to try and push beyond um, what everybody was saying when people put limits on them. It sounds like they wanted to see if they could go beyond it. And not every patient is like that. Some patients are just waiting for whatever their doctor tells them, and then they go home and perhaps don't have that motivation so I'm interested to know your thoughts on how the patient kind of plays a role in their own treatment because you ask somebody to do rehabilitation maybe they don't maybe they're not interested in putting in that work so what is that like um, in those circumstances where the patient also plays a role in their journey I think we face all we all face
1: that in life right it's not specific to whether or not you're a brain injury survivor or not Um, it really becomes a a challenge um, that we all face in the sense of what your mindset is and if you take a mindset that you say okay yes i've encountered hardship um and i i am this is what i i choose to to see this hardship i don't choose to be passive i don't choose to take you know feel like a victim instead i choose um to, to really decide this is the way I'm going to, you know, uh, address this and, and, and emerge. And, and yeah, for sure. Trevor and Debbie are amongst the best examples. Uh, I've ever had the privilege to, to know, yeah. uh, to demonstrate that. And it's definitely the case, like, you know, if I have to do something bad, uh, you know, like I've got a bad day or I've, you know, I have to do something that scares me or whatever. I always in the back of my mind, um, I'm always like, yeah, well, if Trevor could do that, I can do this. Right. And, and I've heard and, you know, read some media and, uh, that people that were in his platoon, um, I think all of us who lived this experience, um, we all, actually it's as it turns out have that mindset right if if Trev could do this I can do that
0: yeah that is incredible and I'm interested if you could tell us more about their relationship because um, we see a lot of movies about relationships and not all of them are that high quality but it really does sound like Trevor and his wife worked together through it um, and that she was there to support him in taking all of those steps so what was that like for you to watch uh, their supportive network and how they process things together
1: Oh, Debbie's uh, unbelievable. She's amazing. Um, one of the things that the lessons that I've taken forward from this, um, there have been a number that I can now take to people who have survived brain injury and are looking for inspiration. Um, but for sure, uh, one, of the, one of the predictors of a good outcome is you have to have at least one person in your corner, right? Mm-hmm. Who's, who's, you know, incredibly, uh strong and intelligent and, and, you know, capable of advocating, uh, when, you know, you need them to. And, and Debbie is, um, you know, I think at one point I've been quoted as saying that she said she got her superhero back, but I would also equally say she was, she's always been and always will be Wonder Woman, right? Um, she's, uh, she's fiercely intelligent. She's a very, very strong, strong, um, leader. And, uh, and has been um, you know that the two of them together I think they've really helped to change the way people think about uh, devastating brain injuries or devastating things that can happen to you in life in general
0: absolutely and can you walk us through a little bit of the work you guys did together in order to get Trevor to a better position what were uh, the main big steps that went on
1: oh well we kicked it into science in short right Um, what we did is we uh, they were already making these incredible gains and we took, to be simple, we, we used advanced technology to take pictures of it so the world could see. Yeah. Um, so we used um, you know, advanced MRI imaging and uh, other forms of brain imaging um, to actually show that his brain was, was rewiring itself and that you could see this neuroplasticity. And that was incredibly powerful. I mean, you know, I've often said they say a picture's worth a thousand words. In this case, a medical imaging picture's worth you know way, way, way more words. Um, when you show that the brain is rewiring itself and you've been working at that and you know that that's going to happen before, um, the function comes back. So you can say, so instead of getting, ah, it's not working, you're like, actually it is working. I can see it in my brain. So that would get them, uh, to work, uh, even harder and and drive even more. Um, but to the clinical teams, it was medical grade quality imaging that they'd have to say, okay, we have to pay attention to this. This really is happening. Right. And, um, and so, yeah, it's, um, uh, it was the primary way we've done it. It's the way we continue doing it. And and now, of course, we're at a stage where um, we're having fun with it because we're, you know, we're crushing limits. Uh, We're getting his erg set up for full-out rowing. Um, We've used the most state-of-the-art technologies on the planet for neuromodulation, this device called the PONS, which stimulates his brain and helps him break through when he hits limits and barriers. Um, So at this point, yeah, it's just, um, it's really up to how much, uh, you know, we can do.
0: Yeah, and it also sounds like you had such confidence in them, because I saw that they, I think, co-authored some of the papers, and I don't know if that's common. It doesn't no. seem like it would be common no. to have the patients be able to be involved in writing the paper, and I think that that's a huge statement of your confidence and belief in the work they did, because uh, it, it sounds like you trusted them, so how did that all come that, about? You
1: know, yes, it is confidence. I won't say it wasn't. Um, it's actually more, I think, humility. Um, it felt, uh, first of all, to just, to confirm what you just said. At the time when we contemplated uh, that they weren't the patient, they were part of the science team and they were on the papers and this has all been true and it continues to be true. And in the experimental uh, settings Debbie was better at a lot of things than I was so um, I, I benefited greatly from that. Um, but uh, um, I had to go to consult sort of at, at one level uh, you know people who knew a lot about how research is done in Canada and I believe it wasn't the first it was ever done but it was the second time according to the the, you know this one particular expert who really did know Um, but we all felt it was also critically important uh, to do and um, it um, it has turned out to be an incredible journey where um, it it I think it was or, or it was really organic because when we were designing the study and, we, and I was like, okay, we're going to track your changes, um, but we need scientifically something that's a control. It's not like I should, as some, you know, uh, know-it-all scientist, say, I think the control should be this. You guys were the ones that are changing your brain. You tell me what's the best control. And Trevor actually came up with um, mental imagery. Yeah. And at the, as soon as he said it, I thought, that's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. And what turns out why it's brilliant, I didn't even realize at the time, but we did after. Um, well, Trevor was doing that all along. In the morning, he would the first thing he'd think about is, this is what I want to do. Just like a lead athlete will imagine their task, he would imagine walking. And he does to this day. Yeah. And the lesson he gave um, medical communities around the world uh, in perpetuity was that you can actually start rewiring your brain just by imagining where you want to go. And that doesn't cost you anything, and you can do it anytime, and you don't need any specialists. And what we could show in our science results was he was activating the exact same areas that we were rehabilitating. Right. And so um, that's been a very, very powerful scientific lesson. And if we had never included Trevor and Debbie, uh, we could well have done some you know, uh, experimental uh, control that would have never shown that.
0: Yeah. That's so interesting because it almost sounds like it makes sense in hindsight. Like it seems clear that when you're sitting there and you're like, well, if you focus on something and you think about it all the time, that you're gonna have, your brain is working when you're thinking about those things. But it wasn't clear at the time, if I'm not mistaken, like believing that that could have that drastic impact on neuroplasticity, that wasn't known at the time,
1: was it? Oh, no, not at all. I mean, so much of what's come out of this, um, we, we could have never predicted the magnitude of the of the impacts, Um, it's it's, I struggle to even put it into
0: words. Yeah, and it sounds like a lot of athletes now do this, they go back home, they think about the game. They were doing
1: it before. Okay. Um, That's actually where we drew from that science to realize Mm. it would make a good control. But the concept that you could use it in rehab, because one of the big barriers to rehabilitation is access to expertise and money. Yeah. And this is
0: um, completely breaks that barrier down. Absolutely. And moving forward, I think that this is so applicable to people's lives that Trevor had this dedication, regardless of where he was, he was trying to think of a way to do better the next day. And I think that that sets such a strong example for other people to try and do better in their own lives and try and figure out how can I do better tomorrow? If you're an artist, Mm -hmm. how do you paint the better painting tomorrow? If you're um, like a neuroscientist, how do you learn more research so you can apply it in the next study? Uh, What did you gain um, and what did other people around you gain from that knowledge that thinking about things, concentrating, um, and like kind of planning that out has such a dramatic impact?
1: I think the big, the big difference was that we'd actually understood that the brain had neuroplasticity in the science and research labs for a long time. Yeah. But it hadn't made its way into clinical translation right. or even just our ability as as. as human beings on this planet to use it on a daily basis. Yeah. And um, that was, that. Was, when we were doing this was right in the era where from a, a clinical medical point of view, it, when I was trained as a neuroscientist on a stroke ward, the, the term neuroplasticity was a dirty word. You wouldn't do that because of false hope. Yeah. And I saw firsthand the acceptance in the clinical worlds about the power of neuroplasticity wow and that was that i think that was pretty cool yeah.
0: yeah that is amazing and i'm interested to know how the poppy fund came about and how mm-hmm. how that started because i didn't know that there was a poppy fund but it sounds like it had a huge impact on trevor's ability to walk oh it's it's
1: a huge story um for those who are listening to this and you know i love your podcast because it's about um, At the heart of it, I think we all have aspects of of hardship in life, and we're all looking to say, okay, look, um, you know, how do I get inspired so that I go change my life? Like, your story is amazing. Um, This is one of those examples where if you have, if you just have belief that if you keep powering on, good things will happen. Um, The way this, the Poppy Fund came was um, Trevor and Debbie were were out, and um, uh, there was, they were giving talks, and a young girl came up, um, they were actually competing for an exoskeleton. So these are these robotic um, sort of exoskeletons that help you assist walking and that sort of thing. And there was a competition, a global competition, and they, were com- they, they ended up uh, competing for that and coming second. However, um, so they didn't get it because um, a large part, the field had developed it for spinal cord injury, and they said, oh. Well, we couldn't use it for somebody who survived a brain injury. And this, this young girl came up and she said, well, I saw your story, I was moved, and she had connections to the Legion. And so she took the story to the Royal Canadian Legion, and um, the head of the Royal Canadian Legion, uh, uh, Absolute um, Dynamo, named Inga Cruz, um, uh, basically launched a poppy campaign to fundraise for an exoskeleton. It cost about $125,000. And they had to hit stop right away because they surpassed that target and the donations just kept coming in. Wow. So the problem was then that they, they had the money for this technology, but it wasn't straightforward how you could use it in Trevor's case. So again, in comes our science and engineering teams and we had to spec the, the best one, uh, which took me on a flight to Israel to go find the, the top one on the planet, bring it back to here in Vancouver. Um, drive it over uh, to their place on the on the island, and um, as we're doing this process, um, it's actually uh, Inga is with another key member of our, our healthcare innovation team, Rowena Rosati. They're talking about the future of the Legion, and you know it's it it was a you know the update was things aren't there are challenges financially or otherwise. The Legion was needing to understand what's it going to look like in the future, how's it going to go forward. And out of that very conversation, while Trevor and I are fitting exoskeletons, came a concept and a bold vision to completely revolutionize the Legion, which while it didn't have a lot of money, it had lots of great locations in all our communities. And so that was kind of its asset. So this vision came to create a center of excellence for PTSD, mental health, and rehabilitation for our veterans and our first responders. And as I sit here, that was in 2015. And as I sit here today, directly behind me, um, I think it's about 11 or, story, uh, or 12 stories out of the ground, is a $312 million Legion's Veterans Village, which is doing exactly that. Wow. Right? Like, Can you conceive that that 16-year-old was acting under the influence of the Taliban and was absolutely trying to um, you know, end Trevor's life? Yeah. And as a consequence of all this science and innovation, we are revolutionizing how we can provide care for our, our, all of our veterans and our first responders.
0: Yeah. Which Just complete is turnaround. head spinning, Yeah. right? Oh my gosh. Yeah. What was that like to go and look at exoskeletons from your perspective as a neuroscientist? Because to, I think all the listeners, they're like, exoskeleton, I don't even know what this word is. And yet to go to Israel and to go look into these and try and choose the correct one What was that process like?
1: Well, it was always, I love Israel. It's the most innovative country on the planet. I've I've, I've served uh, for Canada as a scientist to represent uh, us. um, And so it's taken me to Israel many times. Um, But on this particular occasion, it was interesting uh, because it was was a little more dangerous than normal. And um, it was one of those times where uh, I, I remember thinking if Trev could do what he did I can I can get here and get the exoskeleton yeah um, and so so it was uh, it was definitely it was definitely an adventure um, that uh, I won't soon forget yeah. uh, but um, uh, it uh, it was really critical and the exoskeleton itself became an assistive device there's a couple of funny stories that came out of it uh, one was um, this is actually when Debbie said she got her superhero back um, we, we strapped the exoskeleton on, Trevor's big guy, six foot five. Um, and when he stood, and he hadn't stood like that in a long time, and he walked in his living room, um, that's when Debbie said, I got my superhero back. Yeah. Um, and he looked over to his youngest son, Noah, who wouldn't have been born, yeah. right, if, uh, if you know the health system had put him in a hospital and got on with, you know, just yeah. thought he was gonna be vegetative or, or just in long-term care. Um, and, uh, and he said, uh daddy's bionic which was super fun we got it on camera it was really neat um but that was the moment too where the journalist said well what is what is this like you know I remember a big event we had the journalist was like so what's it like and Trevor is um you know he's so sharp and he publishes books and you know read his journalism read his the books he's written they're just incredible um but he he sort of thought about it and he said like being dry humped by a robot, right? So, so his goal was never to have to rely on it. His yeah. goal was, I'm using this temporarily and I'm moving through it. And he did. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's now downstairs is, as, a, as a piece of, of the, the, the adventure and the journey. And oh we're gosh. using it now, I think, for other first responders and, and uh, veterans and that sort of thing. So it's, it's incredible, right? The yeah. poppy campaign, the money you gave because of your poppy created that outcome.
0: Like, that is so hard to believe the, and not the story you hear when you're picking up your poppy though but yeah. i'm sure one no. that should be told more often yeah it's, it's unbelievable uh you've also talked about how you have uh like newspaper articles in um, a lot of your rooms where you're working with clients as like an inspirational story and i'm interested to know your thoughts on the impact Trevor's stories had on others but also what listeners can get out of trevor's story what what should they be taking away from uh trevor story in your view
1: oh i'll answer your second one first um i we're we're working on the book brains unbroken so i think in short and simply we all can sort of start to figure out it no matter what happens to your brain in life how do i unbreak it yeah right? Mental health, same thing, you know, brain injury, it's not just brain injury, lots of things, you know, they, as we go through the adventure of life, it's wear and tear on our, on our nervous system. Definitely COVID and the pandemic are probably the best current example. Um, and so it just empowers people to think that way. Um, so that's, that's for sure. Um, I I forgot your first question.
0: Uh, You have articles, news articles in a lot of your rooms and I'm interested to know the impact that you've gotten to see on patients in there as well, being able to see Trevor's story. Have you seen that translate?
1: So Trevor's impact's nowhere near done.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: uh, That's for sure. But he's, um, I've heard some uh, brain injury survivors him as the, the Rick Hansen of, uh, of brain injury. And it's a really cute story because Rick was actually with him when he you know, got back to Vancouver and he was in the intensive care unit. And, um, and in fact, um, when we had the, uh, the TEDx talk that we did together, Rick was, uh, also a big, you know, part of that. So, um, huge champion, um, and, and big inspiration to Trev. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, uh, you know, the key thing with, with, um, anyone who has something devastating that happens to their brain is they, they now understand and they can look to Trevor's example to really say, I don't have to accept what the reality looks like today. I, I can decide what I'm gonna make my reality look like. Yeah And so the inspiration comes from his story. And I always want people to know that's not a story that's over yet. Um, we're still, We're still innovating the crap out of it.